Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. We're kicking off a new series today, um, and it's about hearing from God. It's, it's this strange thing, and it kind of can be a mysterious thing. Um, and, and, and I want to talk about this because I feel like it, within the church, there's, there's a lot of confusion, even some tension around this. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say, God told me? And then they want to tell you something that God told them. And if you're like me, you, you think, okay, wait, I, can you back up? Like, how, how exactly did that happen? Like, you know, like, was it a dream or it was something written in the sky or was there an audible voice? Did you feel led to a Bible verse? Was it something else? Like, how did God tell you? Like, how did that exactly work? And then, of course, some of you have heard the advanced variations of this because there's many of them, but somebody, somebody said, maybe said to you at some point along the way, God told me to tell you which is always interesting because I think, oh, did he? Well, maybe you could go tell him to tell me so that I could be clear uh, that he wants me to hear something from him. And some of you, I hope not, but maybe some of you have even heard uh, this phrase and, and maybe even heard it from somebody who stood on a stage like me. You've gotten this one. God told me to tell you to give me or to get involved in or to do this or to do that. And, and, and this all can be confusing and, and difficult. And, and I'll just tell you, for me personally, it's, it's one of the reasons I'm hesitant or I tread lightly uh, in using phrases like this, this phrase like God told me, because like some of you, I've seen uh, this used and misused and abused in, in people's lives. I've seen people use this to justify bad or illogical behavior. I've, used it, I've seen it used to shut down criticism or to blatantly manipulate other people for personal gain. Um, and I've even seen people use this uh, to get out of certain things, like trying to break up with somebody without having to give them the real reason why they're trying to break up, which reminds me when I was in my 20s, which by the way, my kids tell me they just, when they break up, they just ghost somebody today. Like, that's the strangest thing. I'm like, they just stop, stop talking to them. You just stop texting them. I'm like, you don't have a conversation? Anyway, don't get me started. Anyways, but, but in that time, when I was in my 20s, you had to have a conversation. And I had started dating this girl. It's a weird thing. I started dating this girl. And like, I think it was our third date. She told me that um, God told her she's going to marry me. And I thought, whoa. Like, I mean, it, it was... It was going pretty good. It was only the third date. So, you know, you're sort of in that, that early phase. There's a lot of, you know, excitement, whatever. And, and, but I was like a little bit of taken back by that. And fast forward a few weeks and things weren't going as well. And I was like, oh gosh, like this is going to be a weird, awkward conversation. Well, I, I, so I decided I needed an ally. She had a really good friend of hers that was actually how we met. And so I went and talked to her friend. I said, hey, listen, I mean, this is a strange thing. She told me this and, and I, things aren't going, I mean, we're not made for each other, right? Like, this is not like the right thing. I got to figure out how to have this conversation with her, but she's told me that God told her she should marry me or she was going to marry me. And she looked at me and she said, God told me the same thing. <laughs> and she said, and I think if you break up with her, you're going to be single for the rest of your life, <laughs> which I was like, well, first, I'm glad that didn't happen, but I was like, I, I'm not going to get out of this now. Like, how in the world do you get out of this? It's like when somebody plays the God card. Has anybody ever done this to you? Like, they play the God card. Like, God told me, or God said this is what I'm supposed to do, and, and they claim that, 
seemingly they, something they received was dictated from God, which seems like an unquestionable uh, absolute or authority. And it's like, what do you do when somebody plays the God card? And it, at best, we've seen this be confusing. And to the extreme, it can be really dangerous. But on the other hand, isn't it true that when you're in a season in your life where you're searching for inspiration or direction or answers or answers to life's most difficult questions, people wonder, I think we all wonder, can, can I hear from God? Is it possible to hear from God? Maybe you've even been in a season or, or are in a season where you feel desperate to hear from God. And you're wondering, does God really speak to people? Like some people claim he speaks to them. Like some of these stories that I, that I read in the scriptures, like does God actually still speak to people? Can I really hear from him? And, and if I can, can I hear from him personally? Like not just a message for everybody, but like will he speak personally to me and specifically about things that are going on in my life and my world? And will he be clear with me? And will he speak de- definitively to me? Because some of us have found ourselves in situations where that's the sort of hearing from God that we need. And, and even if you're here and you're new to Buckhead Church or you're new to the, the church that you showed up at today and you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, here, here's the thing. My guess is that being in church, you, you knew we were going to talk about something like this. We we're going to talk about God. And you probably have at least wondered if there is a God and if that God cares or that God speaks, you'd probably want to know how, right? You, you want to know, like, how does that God speak to people? And if you are a Jesus follower and you've heard people claim to hear from God, you might think uh, you're doing something wrong or you might think there's something wrong with you, especially if you feel like you've never heard from God personally or specifically or clearly or definitively and it's something you've really wanted or desired. So here's the thing. I thought we'd spend a few weeks talking about this sort of strange, mysterious thing um, and and try to sort it out and and sort out over the next few weeks um, exactly how do you hear from God and do people hear from God? Now, just to be upfront, I just want you to know, I believe God speaks to people and you can hear from God. And I believe you can hear from God personally and specifically and clearly and definitively. And today, what I want to begin with is, I want to begin with how and why I think most of us miss it. Or most of us miss out on hearing from God. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to follow up with how to hear from God regarding some of the fundamental or the the foundational realities of life. We're going to talk about specifically hearing from God in different areas of our life. But uh, here's what I want to do. I want to explore all of this through the lens of someone who heard from God. And, and, it's, and it's a very familiar or, or infamous character from the Old Testament. I want to look at all of this through the story of Moses. I think we can learn so much from this, uh, uh, about hearing from God through the story of Moses. In fact, the title of our series is Here I Am, and, and we're going to talk about this more next week. The reason we call it Here I Am is because I Am is the name God gives himself when he's speaking to Moses. And it's an important, it's an important part of the way God speaks. We're going to talk about that next week. But I want to give you a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of context for Moses and Exodus. For those of you who don't know, haven't been around Christianity, don't know the Bible super well, I want to give you some context because today the story we're going to look at, um, it, it really comes to life when you understand the context. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to have a Bible. If, if, if you, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 today. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to pull it out. If you use the U-verse, 
version app, you can do that. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, I want you to have one. We'll get you a Bible. We'll give you a Bible if you can't afford one. Um, and, and whatever church you're at, just ask somebody around there. I'm sure they would love to give you a Bible uh, for free. Because I, I, I just believe so much in the truth uh, in these, these, these scriptures and these stories, uh, as you're going to see today. Um, Exodus is part of uh, what's known as the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. And this is sort of like a five-volume work. And it's, it's authored uh, predominantly by Moses, but not just by Moses. There's lots of people that contributed to it uh, to understand the early um, activity of God's light, God's work in, amongst his people. And um, they're sort of all interconnected. But Exodus specifically is a continuation from Genesis. Um, the Genesis account, uh, some of you know this, um, uh, Exodus is, is really sort of like a volume two to the volume one of Genesis. It's not, it's not a completely new story. It's not a completely different thing. Genesis just means beginnings. And, and we, we learn the story of what happened in creation in the beginning. And then the fall of man when sin uh, came into the world. And then there's all this destruction and God, things turned uh, in a way that it wasn't the way God wanted it to be. It's not the way he intended. It wasn't what was good, what he created in the beginning. And so God decided to start over. And he chose a guy named Abraham. And he said, he made a promise. He said, I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. Uh, you're gonna be a great nation. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had no kids, but I'm gonna make you a great nation. And, and so Abraham uh, and Sarah, they had some kids and his son Isaac was gonna carry on the lineage. They're known as the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac. And then Jacob came after him. Some of you have heard these stories uh, from the Bible. And then Jacob had a son named Joseph. And the people of God were actually in a, a difficult situation again because a famine had come to the land. And they were going to starve to death. And, and, and because of the way God gave Joseph uh, favor, Joseph is in Egypt. He was sold into slavery, but he's in Egypt. And he rose to the second in command over all of Egypt. And all of the Israelites come into Egypt and they're taken care of and they're provided for by the Pharaoh because of Joseph's influence. So Genesis ends and Joseph dies. And there's a few generations that go by and now there's nobody in power looking out for the Israelites and they're living amongst the Egyptians and the Egyptians are, are doing amazing things. You've seen this, they're building pyramids and there's amazing things happening, construction happening uh, amongst the Egyptian people and they decide they've got free labor if they want it. And so they enslave the Hebrew people. And as they're enslaved, um, this, is, this is what happens. Moses is born into that family and his people are enslaved in Egypt and when we open the pages of Exodus, Moses, start, the story starts with Moses. Now, brief context, before we get to the part of the Moses' story that we're going to look at today, uh, as I said a minute ago, Moses was born as an enslaved minority. He was then adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, we'll, we're going to look at that story in two weeks. Um, he was raised uh, by, uh, by Egyptian royalty, as Egyptian royalty, living in the palace. But then he's out amongst the people one day and he sees a, uh, an Egyptian slave master mistreating a Hebrew. And it bothers him so much that he kills him. So he murders an Egyptian slave master and upsets the Pharaoh so much that the Pharaoh has basically put a price on his head and he says he's gonna kill him. So he flees from Pharaoh to a place called Midian. And that's what we're going to pick up. We're going to drop in on Moses' story. Um, and it's before all the infamous things you know about, like, like when he confronts the Pharaoh and the Exodus story, when they leave and they go out of Egypt and parting of the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments. This is all before all of that. It's like this, this maybe not as popular story in the middle. Now, this is important because the, the, the images that come to mind form 
your perception of Moses. And if you've been around for a while, if you're my parents' generation, um, this is how you think of Moses. He looks like Charlton Heston. And you've seen the movie, like, he parts the Red Sea. And if you're my generation, you've probably seen it as well. If you're a millennial or you're Gen Z, you're like, who's Charlton Heston? Which I get, but you're familiar with this guy from the Prince of Egypt. Like, that's your, if you're a Disney fan, like you, that's how you know, that's the, the picture that you have of Moses. But what we know in the backstory of Moses, this is what Moses is more like today. He's more like Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Like that's who he is. He's in Midian, and which is which in modern day Saudi Arabia. This is just a little bit south and east of where Egypt is. And he's fleed, he's run away. And he finds himself in Saudi Arabia. And one day, particularly, um, he finds himself in the middle of a conflict. There's some Midianite young women who are being harassed by these, these uh, Midianite men. And they're sort of like these low-life men that are acting like pathetic boys and harassing these women. And so, and he's out, even though he's outnumbered, he stands up for the women and fights off these, these Midianite men. Well, in doing so, he unintentionally impresses their father, which is a really great thing because the father decides to reward him with a wife and a job. He gives one of his daughters to be his wife and then he gives him a job. He puts him in charge of all of his, his sheep. He, be, he basically becomes the shepherd um, for uh, this Midianite man and, and his family, which leads us to Exodus chapter three, verse one. If you have a Bible, I want you to look at this with me. Uh, I'll put the words right here on the screen. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, which is irony. And I'm pretty sure Moses probably didn't tell him his backstory. We've got a foreign fugitive who's working for a holy man who's his father-in-law. He's a, he's a Midianite priest. And the Midianites, they were polytheistic people. And so um, Jethro is probably some sort of mediator or, or medium uh, between the people and their gods, because they have several of them. And, and he, uh, he led his flock, Jethro's flock, to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It was known as the mountain of God. Now, we have to pause here because this is the famous Mount Sinai. This is the place where Moses later receives the Ten Commandments. And this is where the people come after the, after the Exodus. The people of God, they, they stop out of this mountain. But Moses doesn't know that this is the mountain of God at this time. It's important. Moses is writing this, and this is being uh, compiled by several different authors to, to give this story, the history of God's people, so that they can preserve it over time. And it's been preserved for me and you. But at the time that this is happening, Moses doesn't know this is the mountain of God. But it's important to include because all the people that would come later would know that something significant happened at the mountain of God. It hasn't yet happened. But Moses is in the wilderness and he's writing to people that would then later be in the wilderness after God rescued them, brought them out, provided for them, and they'd be grumbling in the wilderness. And Moses is going, hey, I just want you to know where this story started. I was out in the wilderness and I came to the mountain of God and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Some of you remember this story now. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Okay, now we're getting at it. I, 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 I can't resist. You, you know this, I can't resist this, but I'm gonna geek out for just a second. Now, I, I want you to know that, that when I first uh, happened upon this story, this was a, a, several months ago, I had been listening to a leadership podcast and it was a, a leadership podcast a, about Moses and it was, it was about his leadership. And, and anyway, I, I was listening to this podcast 
And it was talking about how, um, you know, I, just a bunch of random stuff about M- Moses' leadership. But then it got to the, the burning bush story and they skipped by it. And I thought, you know, what? I'm going to go back and read that. That's such an interesting story. And I, I started reading it and I, I saw something um, that I had never seen before. I mean, it was, it was, it stuck out so much and it's, it's really sort of the, the inspiration of this series. But um, Moses sees this burning bush. And I, I don't know how you've seen this represented before, or even if you have uh, seen this represented, but um, I, I imagine a little differently than maybe most people do. And, and only because uh, in, the, in the scripture, it says that the fire was in the midst of the bush. I mean, in case you decide to take a picture later and you can't remember what that was, um, this, is a, this is a burning bush. Um, and and, and um, I, it's, the scriptures tell us that, that the fire's in the middle of the bush. And this is, this is so interesting because it's in the midst of the bush and the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And and other thing you need to know is Moses doesn't know it's the angel of the Lord. You're going, how do you know that? It doesn't say that. But everywhere else, every other instance, from beginning to end in the scriptures, when the angel of the Lord shows up, people are terrified. And Moses is not terrified. In fact, he finds this fascinating. The, the angel of the Lord appears in the flame or in the form of a flame. And, and that also would have caused the Hebrew people, it would have caught their attention. This is, this is another important thing. Um, fire. Fire was a, was a significant um, theme throughout uh, the, the Old Testament people and the, the Hebrew people of God. And the, when, when people thought of fire, they either thought of one of two things. When, when fire represented uh, God's presence, it was either for judgment or it was for refinement. These were the two things that God's presence represented. But in the, in the, in the context we have here, this fire shows up. And, and, and again, Moses tells us it was the angel of the Lord, but he doesn't know it at this point. He's not terrified. He finds this interesting and the, the, burn, the bush is burning, but this is so important, but it's not being consumed. It's not being consumed. We could, we could surmise that this is really a sort of, and this is what the Hebrew people would have thought, this is sort of a refining fire. So as they're hearing Moses' story, again, he doesn't know any of this, but this is what the Hebrew people are thinking. And Moses, so Moses said, he speaks to himself. He says, I will turn aside to see. So interesting. He, he wouldn't have said this if, if, he, if he knew it was the angel of the Lord. He's fascinated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And fire is a phenomenon. You know, you've seen this. If you ever sit around a campfire, everybody talks and nobody looks at each other. Everybody just stares at the flame because it's really interesting to look at. But this is extra. Some of you are extra. You know what that means in life? This is extra. It's, it's not your average burning bush, which would have been common in that area. In fact, there's, there's, there's actually these bushes that self-combust and that's how they, they reproduce themselves. It's so, so interesting. But he, Moses he catches, catches his attention and he decides, I'm, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight and why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, did you catch it? No. When, when, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, it look familiar? 
People, you can talk to me. It's okay. It's the same phrase over again. This is so important. In the scriptures, when you see repetition, especially in the Hebrew language, when you see repetition, it's an indication. The author's basically telling you, hey, something important's going on here. And we see this phrase repeated. And so we, to, to pull this apart just for a second, this, this Hebrew phrase that we've, did, we've translated into four words, turned aside to see, it's actually just two Hebrew words. And, and it's the Hebrew word, and, and I'm not going to try and say it with a Hebrew accent because I can't speak Hebrew. Sir and ra'ah. Sir and, I did that wrong. The accent goes over here. Sir and ra'ah. And, and these are two Hebrew words, and the word sir means to turn away from. And the, the word ra'ah means to give attention to. To turn away from and to give attention to. These are, these are what these two ideas mean. And so what we, what we see is that when the Lord saw that Moses turned away, he, he turned away from what he was doing or what he was focused on. And he gave, gives his attention to something else, this strange phenomenon. When he saw that, the scripture tells us that God called to him out of the bush. So I don't want to move by this too quickly. This is, this is significant. When Moses stops and he shifts his attention, God speaks. Isn't it true that when you and I want to hear from God, what we're actually trying to do is to get his attention instead of giving him ours. I mean, isn't that what we normally do? It's like, you know, if we're being completely honest, um, we, we've been trying to figure something out. We've tried everything we know to do to accomplish something, to uh, experience or escape or um, overcome something or, or just to get through something that we're facing. And, and because we've tried everything else, um, like Moses, who was, was focused on something. He, he was focused on, on, like we are, on, on building something, uh, around starting over again. Uh, maybe you're focused on climbing a ladder or running from something in your past, or, or maybe you're just trying to get through, and this is a season where it's like, you just gotta put your head down and, and just get through this season, but, but you're focused on something. And, and I wonder if, if the reason we don't hear from God is because we don't have enough space and we don't have enough openness to actually take our attention off one thing and shift our attention to something that God's doing right in or around us. We, we, don't ha we, don't have the, we haven't taken the intention or the capacity to set down something we're holding on to to actually give God our attention. We just want God to pay attention to us and to pay attention to what we're doing. I mean, I mean let me ask you this. What if, what if God's just waiting on you to surah, to, to turn away from something and give your attention, to turn aside and see, to be open to deviating from your current path so he has your attention, so he can speak to you? Almost 10 years ago, I got invited to speak at this church in Arizona, and and um, it was an interesting set of circumstances. I had a friend who was trying to help this church out and um, they had had this, they were in crisis. They had a colossal 
issue with their lead pastor. They had to, they had to fire him and the church was in disarray. And he said, look, they're, they're trying to find a new senior pastor, but I, I need some help filling in some weekends. People are still showing up at church and I want to help them have, you know, uh, quality uh, Bible teaching week in and week out. Would you be willing over the next couple of months to give a weekend or two to come and preach at this church? And I was like, sure. He he said, well, and 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 then I said, actually, as a matter of fact, my family, we're we're coming out there on vacation. We were living here in Georgia. We're coming out there on vacation next month. And I'm going to be there over two weekends. You pick one and I'll do one of them. And, and so he said, great. And so I went out and I preached and, and, and it was sort of interesting how this happened to me. When I went, nobody in my family went to church. They were on vacation. They were like, you can go preach. That's fine. Uh, we're staying on vacation. And so it was, it was like my family and we had, there were several families. We were over there with families and friends. I think there was like 20 of us there. And, and I, so I went down and preached and then came back and, and I'll be honest with you. I crushed it. I did. I mean, like three or four times during the message, people broke out in spontaneous applause. They like me way more than you guys do. I guarantee you. They loved it. I mean, it was like really good. No, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Nope. Doesn't count. That doesn't count. So I, we, we get back home and, and a couple weeks later, I get this email and it's this really kind email talking about how grateful they were. Please pass along to your wife how grateful we are that you took some time out of your vacation. We know that was a burden on her. Just please let her know and please know that we're so grateful. And then like at the, and they went on and on about how great the message was. And I thought, Jen needs to read this. And so... <laughs> I forwarded this to my wife thinking, you know, okay, you know, they're really grateful for this. But at the end of the email, they said, hey, and by the way, um, we know you have, you're in a great situation there, but if, if you'd be interested in talking to us about our open senior pastor role, we'd love to talk to you. And I was like, that's not going to happen. But I forwarded, so I forwarded the email to Jen and a couple of nights later, we're laying in bed and she goes, hey, did you want to talk about that email? I didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, what email? She's like, the one from the church in Arizona. I was like, oh yeah, wasn't that great? That was super nice. That was nice of them to recognize, you know, it was a sacrifice for you too. And, and apparently I did a really good job there. Did you hear that part? She's like, no, not that. Like, what about the job thing? Like, are you interested in that? Like, is that something you would, you'd be open to doing? And I was like, no, that's a terrible idea. Like, that's a, that's a hard situation. I was like, you weren't there. You stayed on vacation. Remember that? I went down there. It was, it was a fire. Like you talk about a fire. It was, things were on fire and like, man, it, it felt difficult. And I talking to some of the staff, it was hard. And I just thought, you know, like, gosh, you know, no, somebody should do that. Not me. Like, I'm not the right guy for that. I had no experience doing that. I was like, and by the way, we're at the greatest church in the world. I was the lead pastor at North Point at that time. Do you know that it's taken me 15 years? I was the first intern here. It took me 15 years to become the lead pastor of the largest of our original campus, the largest of all of our campuses in the Atlanta area. I mean, we, we live in a neighborhood with my brother and sister and their kids. Our kids are like, siblings with their cousins and they get on the bus and they go to school halfway between our house and the church. I mean, this is, this is the worst idea ever. Why would we ever leave? We worked so hard to get where, why would we do this? And she's quiet. I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> okay. Why? What did you think? I mean, okay, I should probably should have asked you first, like, what do you, why? You know, are you interested in that? She didn't say anything. I said, Jen. Jen? She had fallen asleep. 
She didn't listen to any of my rant. She hadn't heard not one bit of it. And I'm, I'm irritated at this point. I'm wearing a long sleeve t-shirt. I am hot and bothered. I get out of bed. I'm like frustrated. I go into my closet. I grab a t-shirt and I could show you the t-shirt today. The t-shirt that I grabbed. And as soon as I grabbed that t-shirt, a voice came into my head. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but this thought came into my head in that moment when I grabbed that t-shirt and the voice said, are you really open to whatever I have for you? I stood there for what felt like 10 minutes. It was probably like 30 seconds. And I said, nope. And I walked out. (laughs) I thought, I'm never going back in there. I'll send my kids in to get my clothes. I'll tie a rope around them when they go in. If they don't come out, we'll drag them out. We'll just pull them out. I'm, I'm I'm never going back in there. So the next morning, I tell my wife's story. I'm like, hey, thanks for the conversation last night. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have asked that right before we went to sleep, whatever, whatever. And I, she said, well, what, what, so what did you say? And, and I, so I told her the story, and I told her about the closet. And we were laughing, and, or I was laughing, and she looked at me, and she said, doesn't that bother you? I said, does what bother me? She goes, it bothers me. I, doesn't it bother you that you're not open to whatever God has for you? Like it didn't a few minutes ago, but nah, it bothers me now. And the truth is, is I was blinded by my own ambition, by what was in front of me right there. And I couldn't see the burning bush. But, and here's the thing you, you need to know. Jen didn't want to go do this. She thought it was a terrible idea too, but she couldn't deny seeing the fire. This strange phenomenon that was happening right near us. And that led to an adventure. I would never have chosen, but I will always cherish. God spoke to us clearly about what he wanted us to do. And it changed our lives in the best possible way. Two things I want you to consider. Two two takeaways, I guess you could say, from this story. And we're just getting started in this story. it's It's an amazing story. There's a lot more coming. Um, But two quick takeaways. First is this. Do you really have the space or the margin in your life to hear from God? Have you created space in your life to notice when there's burning bushes around you? When there's strange, phenomenal things where you're going... That feels like a distraction, but, but there's something going on there, but I'm too busy. I got this, all this other stuff going. I mean, is there enough quiet in your life to recognize God's activity around you? I mean, I'll just tell you, I struggle with this. Not long ago, just before March Madness, um, I was downstairs. All, everybody in my house had gone to sleep, so it's quiet. I went downstairs. We have this, this theater room in our basement. I went down to the theater room, and I was sitting on the couch in the theater room, and I've got the Golden State Warriors game on because they're fun to watch on the, on the theater, and I've got um, my iPad in front of me. I'm doing some re- research around the draft for our, our March Madness pool that I'm going to be in, and then I've got my iPad uh, to record my thoughts on what I'm going to do, and I've got my phone, and I've got my watch. I've got five screens between me and the wall, and there's nothing going on in my house. I don't know if screens are your thing. It may be something else. Maybe some other things that are distraction. I'll just tell you, side note, um, experiencing life to the full, which is something the scriptures talk about, and filling your life up with something are not the same thing. As a matter of fact, they rarely coexist. My question is, how, how are you intentionally creating space? Maybe what you need is silence. 
How are you guarding against being too distracted to notice when the God of the universe is trying to get your attention so that he can speak to you? How are you creating space or margin in your life for that to happen? Second thing is this. How many of you have something that, that when, you, when you think about it in your life, you, you've known, you've sort of sensed this for a while, but you know that there's something in your life that you need to turn away from. It, it might be something evil, it might be something bad, but it might not be. It might just be something that's consuming your attention. It's something that actually doesn't have redeeming value. It's, it's something that God's not doing. He's, he's not actually trying to draw your attention. He's not actually speaking through. It's just, it's just filling up your time. And it's keeping you from giving your full attention so you can hear from God. Hey, how many of you have something that you need to turn away from? Did, did you know, by the way, um, if, especially if you're not a Jesus follower, do you know that, that this turning away from, this, this idea, this turn aside and see that, that Moses repeats and he, he's is reserved for us, is like, hey, this is a really important idea. Do you know that scientifically, biologically, actually, we know psychologically and physiologically that our attention, shifting our attention to something is the precondition. It's the precondition for revelation. And I don't use that in the biblical term. I use that in terms of new thoughts, new ideas, illumination, discovering new things, like, like learning, revelation and inspiration. The drive, the motivation, the passion for something. That, that, that the reality is when we give our attention to something new, it actually triggers chemicals in your body. Serotonin, it, it, it helps de develop new neural pathways in your brain. It creates plasticity in your brain. As a matter of fact, side note, all those people are trying on your apps to get you to buy like Sudoku and all those little games to do in, in, in sort of in your, 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 your time, free time or whatever. And the science behind that is if you'll, if you'll look at some things that are challenging and try to figure them out, it'll actually create new learning for you. It creates revelation and inspiration. It actually works. And guess what? It's so old that Moses wrote about it thousands of years ago. This was something that was preserved to tell you, hey, this is important. If you want revelation and you want inspiration, the chemistry, the way you were designed, the chemistry in your brain, the serotonin that gets released, the, the regulation of cortisol, which is your stress hormone, um, it, it responds almost exclusively to what you give your attention to. So even if you're not a Jesus follower, this is the way your body works. And look, I'm like you, I have goals, I have ambition, but what goals and ambition or what destination, what thing you're trying to get to or get done, do you may need to turn aside from, maybe not forever, but definitely for now, definitely for a season, so that you can hear from God personally, so that you can hear from God specifically, so that you can hear from God clearly so that you can hear from God definitively. Do you know this is where the ancient practice of fasting came from? This is the idea that you set something down. You put something down so you can turn your attention to something else. And it's, it's a voluntary desire to give up something that, that creates a hole or creates a space in your life. And you fill that by giving your attention to God and, and specifically to hear from God. And, and this is typically, you know, as it relates to people thinking about fasting, they think about food. But 
For some of you, it, it, it needs to be Netflix or social media or something else that maybe you need to set down or, or maybe some other pursuit or maybe some side hustle or maybe some other thing that, that you've been trying to get traction with and it's been, you've been given all your attention and God's doing something and you can't even notice what God's doing so that he can speak to you because you don't have the margin. You don't have the space. And now fasting may seem like really difficult to you, but if you're interested, I'm, I'm gonna give you a very simple guide. This week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re- record a video. It's gonna be on our website, um, on our, all our social media. We'll make sure all of our churches uh, have it on their, their social media. Um, but if you're interested, I'm gonna give you a very simple guide on fasting, how to do it in, in a really simple way. And you can start really in an easy way. You can develop a plan. And it could be something that you do to create some intentional margin and space in your life by turning away from, setting down something so that you can hear from God. Now, to close, I'm almost out of time. This is my favorite part. Um, When God saw that Moses turned aside to see, he spoke. This is what he said. He said, Moshe, Moshe, which is uh, Moses in Hebrew. We're going to talk about that. More repetition. What Moses' name means, we're going to talk about this next week, is really important. Moshe, Moshe, he said, and, and Moses said, here I am, which is as, as if to say, you have my attention. I'm here. I'm paying attention to you. And then this is what God says. He says, look, don't, don't come near. Don't come too close. I, I know you've already turned aside to see. You've already come in my direction, but, but don't come too close. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, a, a lot has been written about this. And I don't mean to contradict any of that. Um, a lot of has been made of why Moses uh, was instructed to take sandals off his feet, you know, out of reverence for God in this holy place and out of respect. You know, sandals were unclean. Um, and and the things that were on his sandals, maybe they had a lot of cleanliness laws. And it's like, hey, you're going to approach God, you know, as clean as you possibly can because he's a holy God. And all of that's valid. And even the fact that you take off your sandals, you take off your sandals when you're done walking. So it symbolizes him stopping. But if we zoom out and we consider it in context, this is volume two, Exodus, volume two of five volume work. Uh, It parallels, Exodus chapter three parallels what's happening in Genesis chapter three. If we were to flip back, which we don't have time to do today, but you know, I love the Genesis story. I've told you this before. And God's instruction looks more like an invitation at this point, an invitation to re-engage in a personal relationship with him. In the creation story, when the first humans sinned by eating the fruit of the forbidden tree. Their sin led to shame. And what they decided to do is cover up and hide. This is so important. If you were to study the scriptures, one of the things you discover, and we just be an adult for a second, in the scriptures, feet are a euphemism for the part of your body that you cover up and the parts the first people were ashamed of because of their sin. It's what we do when we're ashamed of something. We cover it up and we hide it. And now, this is extraordinary. Moses is standing in front of a different tree. Imagery is very similar. God's led him in front of a different tree inhabited by God's presence, representing God's holiness. His refining fire as this bush that's not being consumed Moses, an adopted, murdering, escaped slave fugitive, is being invited to enter the presence 
of a holy creator through vulnerability. See, here's what I think is happening when God instructs him to take his shoes off. He's saying, you don't have to come to me with pretense. You don't have to hide. Now, for some of us, think, we think the last thing I want to do is hear from God because I'll just hear judgment. I'm scared to even come into church. I'm afraid, you know, like God would strike the building with lightning. But this is not what we see. God himself doesn't let Moses come too close. This is his grace and his mercy inviting all of us, regardless of where we've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you come from, to come close to him, just as we are. No covering up and no hiding. Scripture's one story. It's another significant tree. God would come in the flesh. He would die on the cross. He would bear the judgment fire of God on our behalf to pay for the penalty of the sin that separates us from God so that God could refine us to the image that we were initially designed in so that we wouldn't be consumed by God's judgment fire, but so that he could reorient our lives so that we would look like what he intended for us to do so that we could leave a life of wandering and hiding and striving and we could hear from him about the value and the purpose that he has for us in an intimate relationship with him. This is what he does for Moses. As we're gonna see in the coming weeks, he talks to Moses about his identity and the specific purpose that God has for him. He talks to him specifically about how Moses sees himself and tries to reorient for Moses how he sees himself by getting Moses to see how his God sees him. And then he speaks to him about the created intended purpose that he specifically has for Moses. And here's what I want you to know. He wants to do the same thing for you. He does. God is speaking. I think most of the time he's just waiting for us to turn away from something, something that's lesser, that's not as great. It may be good, but it's not as great as the thing he has for us. And when we turn away and we give our attention to him, God will speak to you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your word, how it's even speaking to us this morning. It's living and it's active. As I've been speaking, people in this room have that I've never met, that I don't know. I don't know their story. You're doing something in their life. And, and, and some of them have been battling lately that they don't have any space. They don't have any margin. They don't have any quiet in their life. And they, they need that. And even when they find that space and that quiet, they fill it with something else. God, I pray that you'd give them the clarity, the wisdom to know how to, how to set the stuff down that's filling up their lives. And for, for others of us, we don't know specifically what those things are that are filling up our lives. And, and you've begun to speak. Maybe there's even some people in the room who what's come to their mind is something that they need to turn away from, something that they've known for a long time that they need to set down and turn away from. And those thoughts that have come into their mind, they're not my thoughts because I don't know them. They're, they're your thoughts and you're speaking today. I pray that we'd be still and quiet enough that we could hear from 
you. Speak to us. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, <laughs> you win. Not the rest of you. Not the rest of you. She wins. I'm just kidding. Y'all have a great week. We're going to continue next week with part two. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.